Would you turn with me this evening to the opening verses of Psalm 119, please? Psalm 119. I'm going to read the second stanza from verses 9 to 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray once more briefly before God. Lord, may our very hearts tonight echo the desires and intents of the servant of God who wrote these words. May we have the same appetite for holiness, the same hatred of wickedness, the same dependence upon you. Lord, teach us even tonight to doubt ourselves, but to trust in you for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Are you afraid of your own heart? Are you afraid of your own heart? The spirit of the age says, trust yourself. Do whatever you really want to do. Trust your heart. The word of God says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Perhaps you've bought into that foolishness that says, whatever your heart tells you to do, that must be the right thing. I don't know in what sense anybody ever uses the word right in that sentence. I think what it typically means is that's what feels good at that particular point in time. But if you are a child of God, you have learnt, I trust, by instruction, and I do not doubt by experience that your heart is not to be trusted. Sometimes the old writers used uh, the imagery that if we update it a little, it's like carrying around a bucket of petrol-soaked rags through a foundry with sparks flying everywhere. Only takes one spark and the petrol-soaked bucket goes up in flames. And your heart is like that in this world full of the sparks of sin. It's naturally inclined to evil. And even as those who have been saved by the grace of God, we find too often that we are against the world and the flesh and the devil in a way that can make us cry out with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So much so that one of the battles that Christians often face, and you may have faced it, is to ask of yourself, can I really be a Christian when I have such battles in my heart? 
I, I hate the things that I want to love and I love the things that I want to hate. I cannot trust my own heart. You see then those who call themselves Christians drifting. You probably know people, friends, family, church members even, who've drifted away from the truth, who've drawn back from things that perhaps once they were standing up for, planting a flag for. Men and women, maybe to whom you once looked as an example who are falling into grievous sin. Perhaps at its most distressing, there are people who you thought you'd walk to heaven with who are abandoning the faith. We're not talking here so much about Christians struggling against sin or fighting in faith, but those who are faltering and those who are turning. And when this happens, either to those who we're observing, when we feel the tendency, the shake in our own souls, it makes us tremble and weep, both for ourselves and others, and it should. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There's no greater danger than thinking you're okay. No greater danger than imagining that you're the person who'll be all right when everyone else around you is going down. It's one of the most grievous things that can happen to you as a Christian. To, to see these things around you. It's one of the most distressing things sometimes just to feel that the temptation and the inclination in your own heart. Why do I want these things? What's wrong with me? Well, the answer is I'm not yet perfectly glorified. And therefore the battle still rages in my soul. Pastorally, I'm not sure there's anything as heartbreaking as seeing these kinds of things happening in the lives of God's people. Men and women, some younger, some older, who seem to just shrug and give up, stop bothering, start indulging sin. And the question for us this evening is, how do I respond to that? Not so much now for someone else, but for me. How will I, when I feel that pressure and that temptation, what will I do? How will I last the course? With my whole heart I have sought you, said the psalmist. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. I want you to think with me first of all this evening about the person who speaks here. Again, we, we read that whole section. How can a young man cleanse his way? That's what he's bothered about, by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Now, when you take that phrase by itself, doesn't that sound like the very height of humble and healthy Christianity? If, if you were dealing with somebody who said, with my whole heart, I have sought and am seeking God. You go back to verse 2. Blessed are those who keep God's testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. This is the language that speaks of someone who's reaching out for God with all their soul. All the appetites of their heart are for God in his holiness and in his highness. 
What you have here then, my friends, is not mere attachment casually to some kind of system of religion. You have someone who is clinging to God as saviour. Someone who's all of whose appetites and desires are toward the Lord. We would say, using new covenant language, this is a man who's walking with Jesus Christ. This is a woman who has communion with God through the Saviour. And we might even say, I wish I could say that myself more, more entirely and more readily, that I am seeking God with my whole heart. In one sense, life on this earth, this is as good as it gets. This is, I don't mean that dismissively, this, this, this is Christianity. This is faith of a high flow. I seek the Lord with all my heart. This is someone who's going on well with God. It's not someone then who's in an immediate position of panic. Not someone who's evidently under particular pressure. This is someone in rude spiritual health. This is someone to whom you might look and say, I want to imitate them as they imitate Christ. I want their faith, I want their hope, I want their love, I want the relationship with God that this person has. So you've got this stable and humble, healthy and holy state of mind. And for somebody who is seeking God with their whole heart, what is their primary concern? Let me not wander from your commandments. I want you to observe that. That at their best, at their most earnest, at their most intense, when their thoughts and affections are most in tune with the purposes and desires of God in heaven, their concern is, let me not wander from your commandments. If that's how I speak, if I were at my best, how much more when I feel particular corruptions and temptations. If that's what should rise almost instinctively and naturally from my soul when I'm seeking after the majesty and the glory of God, how much more readily ought this to be my plea and my concern when things are locked in combat? See, the more that a man or a woman loves God and his truth, the more we hate every false way. That's the language that the psalmist uses. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. When you're seeking God with your whole heart, sin becomes more odious, more distasteful, more vile, more foul. The proper counterpoint or response to the pursuit of God is a holy horror of sin in the least degree. And sometimes we're in danger perhaps of thinking that people are a little bit fussy or a little bit petty or a little bit precise. If you've known someone who's really holy, how careful are they about sinning? You known somebody who's cultivated a tenderness of conscience? Sin is hateful to them because it is hateful to God. I had the privilege of taking our friends, the Canes, who were here last Lord's Day uh, to see some of the Spurgeon and Puritan sites over in uh, Cambridgeshire and Suffolk and uh, Essex. 
And at one stage we were in Dedham. Uh, and Dedham was uh, the place where John Rogers had been brought up. And he had an uncle called Richard Rogers. And I think it was Richard Rogers of whom this was spoken a bit. might have been John. Somebody said to him once, Mr. Rogers, I like you very well. But, sir, you are so precise. And is someone saying that to a Christian? I, I, you're, you're all right. You're, you're nice enough. You're normal enough. Uh, you know, I, I like being around you. But why are you so precise? Why are you so bothered about the little things? And Roger's response was, sir, I serve a precise God. See, he, he'd come close enough to the Lord to have his heart put in tune even with regard to the small matters. The man or woman who is seeking God with their whole heart is the person who has this concern. Because the idea of drawing near to God is delightful, and anything that prevents that is awful. And the idea of drifting from God is terrible, and anything that provokes or promotes that is fearful. Can you speak like this? Can we say this evening, with my whole heart, I have sought you? See, you have to put that in personal terms, don't you? I'm not asking, can we say we have sought the Lord? I'm asking, can I say and can you say, not to or about one another, but to God himself. With my whole heart, I have sought you. I want nothing more and nothing better than to draw near to you and to be in your presence. Let's not presume if we can so speak. You may be here this evening saying, yes, the Lord has dealt well with me in these days. I've been delighting in reading the scriptures. I've been enjoying time in prayer, perhaps extended seasons of, of dealing with God. I've known something of his smile, something of his mercy, something of his favour. How should you pray next? Let me not wander from your commandments. It's that keep your armour bright language. Keep the armour strapped on tight. Don't presume that these seasons of drawing near to God will somehow lift you above temptation and corruption. They may, in fact, be the very occasions that the devil will come roaring in at you. My friends, if you're saying, I, I can't say this, at least not in the way that I would wish, where will you go to obtain it? I would ask of God that he would give you a greater appetite for himself. I would ask that he would show you that beauty of which we heard yesterday, that he'd shine upon you, that light which was preached to us this morning, that he would show us the light of the knowledge of the glory that belongs to him in the face of Jesus Christ. Because it's there, as we see God in Christ, that our hearts ought to be drawn toward him. Perhaps you're even here saying, how can I speak that way to God, given the sin that is in my heart? I cannot use this language. I cannot speak in this way. My friend, if you are sinful and therefore cannot approach God, you need 
all the more the Christ who saves. You need the one who cleanses away sin. You need to come to God by way of Christ Jesus. You need to seek him now with your whole heart that he might save you and give you this great and increasing appetite for him and this great and increasing hatred of sin. Here then is the person who speaks. It's, we might say, a believer at their best. A believer with their senses, spiritual senses, finely tuned toward holiness and against sin. And therefore, here's the danger that such a person sees. Let me not wander from your commandments. And the language is, is straightforward. I don't want to go out of the right way. That's the concern. I don't want to go astray. Here is truth, and I want to stay in the path of truth. Here are the paths of righteousness and peace. Let me not leave them. Here's a recognition that this is the way of life, that we're brought into it through Christ Jesus, and this is the way that we go to heaven. This is the path of peace. This is where the soul is calm and at ease. These are the places where we lie down by the still waters. This is the place where we're led into the green pastures. Here is joy, joy even in the midst of struggle, joy even in a world that may be against the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. Let me not wander from your commandments. This is, if you like, this is where the sun shines. This is where God smiles. This is where I know I am safe and I am secure. And when I'm thinking and seeing clearly, I know it. And you can sit here this evening and say, well, I'm thinking clearly, I know it too. And yet what happens? How often do we wander from the commandments of God? And so when we're thinking clearly, this is what we need to be aware of. This is the path of Christ. This is walking in his footsteps. This is the way to heaven. This is the way to glory. Why should someone seek God with the whole heart in order not to wander from his commandments? Why should someone who is seeking God with his whole heart be afraid of wandering from God's commandments? Because my heart's like a tinderbox in a world full of sparks. What is it then that makes the sensitive believer to tremble with this holy horror of sin? What are the things that might make me or you wander from the commandments of God? Ignorance. Ignorance will do it. And I don't just mean someone who hasn't yet been taught. I mean someone who's not bothered to learn. Someone who hasn't searched the scriptures asking, Lord, show me the way everlasting. Have you read your whole Bible? How recently? And to what purpose? Now, I'm not saying that we read our way through numbers, for example, and obedience to God means right so how do we do cities of refuge in the 21st century I think you you understand that that's not the question the question is what does God require how may I live to the praise of his glory my friends if we understand the beauty and the majesty of God 
we'll be pleading, Lord, show me your... Open my eyes. Doesn't the psalmist pray that? Open my eyes that I might behold wonder. Show me, teach me, tell me, lead me, guide me. My friends, there's not a one of us here who has an excuse for not knowing what God requires of his people. And yet so often these books gather dust or our eyes flick over the pages and we're not asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? How else do we wander from God's commandments? What spurs us out of the way? Ingratitude. I see ingratitude as something that leads God's people astray. A spirit of resentment at God's dealings. A spirit of complaint because God's not being fair. I'll give you a couple of examples. I've seen a group of young men or young women, and most of them have got married. And there's maybe one or two left over. Why hasn't God given me a wife? Why hasn't God given me a husband? And that resentment builds that antagonism toward the Lord. Maybe it's something that you want and you haven't got, or something that you've got that you never wanted in the first place. And because you do not think that God is good, and because you do not believe that God is kind, you begin to wander from the way of his commandments. It could be simply carelessness, how the heart breaks over people who just didn't bother being careful. The language of Ephesians, to walk circumspectly, to look where you put your feet. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Are we conscious that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Are you watching against that? Do you pray, even if you don't use the precise language of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Are we conscious that we live in that environment? How many times we have wandered and others have wandered because they simply didn't bother being careful? Covetousness. Covetousness is a powerful pull out of the way of holiness. An appetite for the things of this world. A desire for comfort or for ease or for pleasure. Weariness can do it. Have you ever left the way of God's righteous commandments because you've just been tired? Sometimes our weariness becomes an occasion for Satan to tempt us. Who's easier to pull down when you're weary more generally? think most of us would be sometimes we're tired of the struggle perhaps you've been resisting some particular temptation you've been battling the the pull or the lure of some transgression and you're ground down and the result is that you wander from God's commandments you turn out of the way because it's just too hard to keep going false friends will do it have you ever been led out of the way of God's commandments because somebody, perhaps even somebody who was saying that they were a Christian was pushing you, nudging you, nagging you, encouraging you? 
If you say it from the pulpit, it sounds so twee, doesn't it? So sort of childish. Go on, nobody's looking. But isn't that what people often say to you in effect? Oh, we'll get away with it. It's not that bad. It's not such a big deal. It's only this, it's only that. Perhaps you can look back and there are even memories that come to mind now. It could be from years ago and you think, it was that man, it was that woman who said, no, let's do this, let's go that way. How easily we can be led and drawn astray and, and false flag assaults. You know what a false flag is? So when someone attacks you pretending to be someone else, but you know, they're, they're, they're carrying, as it were, the, the, the friendly flag. Basically, you don't know who you're dealing with. Some of the most pernicious assaults on God's people are made by others who are calling themselves the people of God and consistently undermining. That friend at school, perhaps, you, well, they, they go to church, but they don't really believe the Bible. They, they've been religious from birth, but there's no heart attachment to God. And effectively, you hear over and over again the voice of the evil one. Has God really said? Has God really said? Has God really said? I like you very much, but why are you so precise? Why do you take it so seriously? You know, live a little, relax a bit, just get on with life. And those false friends will very easily lead you out of the way of God's commandments. Lies will do it. How foolish we are to entertain things that are not true. It's not necessarily the sign of wisdom and maturity to be able to handle poison. Sometimes we need to know what we're dealing with. But who in their right mind would make a habit of playing with poison? Only takes one slip, doesn't it? What if I said to you, you've got poison all over your hands? Just seen three of you rub your noses, a couple of you got your fingers on your lips. Not saying you shouldn't, by the way, it's fine, you're sitting there. But what if you had poison on your hands? I said, the next time you uh, scratch your nose, hmm, that's right, okay. If it were really that serious, you wouldn't, would you? Why then do we play with spiritual poison? Why do we entertain? Sometimes people even think, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this for somebody else. Yeah, I, need, I need to know what they're interested in. I'd like to know what they're thinking about. I've seen people who've liked to know what someone else was thinking about who've ended up believing the same filth that that other person has believed. What they thought was exploration became enticement. God hasn't told us to play with lies. He's told us to destroy them, to turn our backs upon them, to have nothing to do with them. It is not the sign of being mature and clever to entertain something that God says is lying and wickedness. It is the sign of foolishness. And so arrogance will lead you out of the way of God's commandments. Many of the people that I have seen stumble always thought that they knew better. I'll be okay. You might not be able to handle it, brother, but, but I'll be all right. I, I know you, know you couldn't watch that stuff, but that doesn't bother me. 
You might not be able to read a book like this. You may not be able to hang out with friends like this. You may not be able to, to have this many drinks. You may not be able to play this kind of game. I'll be all right. It won't happen to me. I'll stand. So often says the person who is about to fall. You probably heard the story before. It's an illustration that preachers tend to use over and over again. The person who lived on the top of a cliff wanted to hire somebody to drive them up and down their big old house. People came to be interviewed. And the, the lady who lived on top of the cliff asked the first driver, how close can you get to the edge of the road as we drive up that, that twisted and curved path? Oh, madam, I, I can drive with my wheels 12 inches from the edge all the way up. Thank you very much, she said. Next guy came in. How close can you get to the edge of the road? Six inches. Six inches from the edge of the road. I'll keep you safe all the way up. Thank you very much. Next guy comes in. How close can you get to the edge of the road? No idea, madam. I keep as far away from the edge of the road as possible. You're hired. It's funny, isn't it? Because we naturally tell, that's skillful. That's clever. Gosh, somebody who can take those kind of risks and still not go off the edge? My friends, if there's a drop to your death, you don't want to be dancing on the edge. You want to be as far away from it as possible. It's arrogance that plays on the edge of hell and thinks that we will not be touched by its flames. Something else that will enable you very quickly to wander from God's commands is absence. Just not being there. How often have you seen in your experience as church men and women that the people who've eventually turned their back upon the church and Christ himself started off by not being there at so many of the prayer meetings and then not always getting to the, the Sunday evening service and then maybe not feeling the need or being able to arrange things to get to some of the, the added extras. And, and we say, and I think we say rightly, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the life of the church that isn't set in stone. You know, there's no high marks for necessarily being at everything all the time under all circumstances. But most of the people that I have seen drift and sometimes even turn altogether, have begun by a lack of appetite for being amongst God's people and in God's worship. Their appetite for fellowship diminishes. They can go for weeks at a time, I don't need these other people. Too often you end up saying, well, who are the people that you do need? <laughs> who are the people that you are with? Where are you when you could be walking together with God's people? We wander from God's commandments when we indulge sin. Do you nurture any sin in your life? You might say like Lot did when he ran away from Sodom. Remember the name of the city that Lot wanted to find? Where did he go? Anybody remember? Zoar. Zoar. And what was Lot's excuse? Just a little one. Just a little one. Lot ended up in an incestuous relationship with both of his daughters. 
because Zohar was just a little one and then he got uncomfortable and he ended up in a cave in the mountains wondering how he was going to perpetuate his line. How many times have you fallen, my brother, my sister, because you started off saying to yourself, it's just a little one. It's just a wee step, just a little nudge out of the way, just one degree of true. It doesn't matter very much. How many people have you seen abandon true Christianity because of some very little thing that by degrees took them a very great distance? We wander from the way because the way appears dangerous. There's a threat. There's a problem. There's a challenge. There's a price to pay for walking in righteousness. And you know what? Not being here looks a lot more dangerous than being over there. I think that's the easier way. That's the safer way. And we don't call it compromise. We call it wisdom. And we allow disobedience to masquerade under the camouflage of good judgment and being careful. It could be as simple as hypocrisy. That you've bothered pretending this long and now you can't be bothered to pretend anymore. You may have been horrified at times just to see the mask drop and you thought... Who did I ever think that I was dealing with? I've seen people wander because of despair. It's like the extreme end of weariness. People have been cast down in their souls. Even good men who've asked really in effect, there's no point. Why should I bother? Why need I bother? Have you ever seen these things? Have you ever felt these things? Have you ever experienced these things? Are you afraid of them? You should be. You should be. And the more you see the beauty and the glory of the God whom you seek, the more horrifying even the smallest deviation from the path of righteousness and truth will seem. With my whole heart I have sought you. And that makes me fear wandering from your commandments. And that stirs my heart. Let me not wander from your commandments. Here's, if you like, the, the second element of the seeking. This is now what I want. As I draw near to God, this is what I'm pleading from the Lord. As I see more of the glory and the goodness of the Most High, as I discern more of his majesty and his excellence, this is what my heart wants, that I may live to the praise of the glory of his grace. And what will I do in a world full of sparks with my poor petrol-soaked heart? See how the man prays. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. You see, he's afraid of his own heart, but he's got faith in the God who saves and the God who keeps. His trust is in the Lord God of loving kindness and tender mercies. 
He knows that this God delights in holiness. He knows that this God who has saved him is well able to keep him. And this is the wise disposition of every child of God. My weakness is such that I need the strength of God. My foolishness can be such that I need the wisdom of God. I need the refuge that only God can provide. I need the the water, the, the sprinkling of the Spirit's grace in my soul to keep down the flames that might so easily erupt in my heart. You see how this man puts his faith in God and expresses his dependence upon God. What am I going to do? How will I stand? How will I walk? How can I be righteous? How can my affections and appetites be tuned to what is right so that I hate what is sinful? How can I be the man who, like Joseph in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife, offering him the pleasures that Egypt would have offered him in her person, say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let me not wander from your commandments. I'm not saying that Joseph used those words those morning in, that morning in his devotions. But I think Joseph breathed that disposition, didn't he? That when the temptation came, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is the fear of the Lord. This is the consciousness of God. This is a prayer that we would so live before the eye of the Holy One and have such an appetite for His smile that anything that is displeasing to Him is displeasing to us and anything that delights Him delights us. It's the language of reliance upon God, upon His grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's the hide me, help me, keep me, save me, bless me, Guide me language that we find not just through Psalm 119, but so often throughout our Bibles. It's the sense, what if God could let me go? Now notice it's not the doubt that God will keep hold of you. It's not the fear that God will abandon you. It's the recognition that outside of God's grace in Christ, I am damned. That it is my relationship to Christ, my relationship to the Father through the Son, my communion with Father, Son and Holy Spirit that is established by his mercy and kindness, that is sustained by the lively gift of faith, that is kept up by the, the exercise of repentings. That this relationship is precious. This relationship is pure. This relationship is what I go on needing. Oh God, let me not wander. And perhaps especially then when I'm going into a situation where I know there's going to be temptation. When I get up tomorrow morning. Oh God, I'm seeking you with my whole heart. Let my senses, my spiritual senses be attuned to your holiness and let me not wander from your commandments this day. Let me set no worthless thing before my eyes. Let my, the lusts and the greeds of the world not infect my soul. Let me make a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon impure things. Let my heart be turned toward holiness. 
When lies and and temptations and corruptions are swirling around me, let my eyes be fixed upon you. May they be blind to this world's empty, vain, foul pleasures. And may they be fixed upon the things that are holy. Hold me up because I can't stand in my own strength. Don't let me wander. Oh, God of my salvation. Now, what does that look like? Does that look like someone who says, well, Lord, keep me today, and then throws themselves into spiritual danger? I think it was Thomas Watson who said, he is he's a foolish man who prays against sin and then sins against prayer. Let's say that there has been some profound sinful addiction. And I'm not trying to undermine sin or elevate addiction in some curious way. What I'm saying is there's been some perhaps ingrained appetite in your heart for some sinful thing. And you pray that God will keep you from it. Would you then go... And put yourself alone and unaided in a situation where you're going to be bombarded with that. Let's say you were tempted to destroy yourself. Tempted to suicide. Lord, keep me from such things as I spend a day sitting on the edge of a cliff. Lord, in my youth, I gave myself to the bottle. Keep me from temptation, O God. Let me not wander from your commandments as I go on a pub crawl with my mates. My heart was captured for years by pornography. Lord, let me not wander from your commandments as I go into this uh, internet cafe or, or even walk down the aisle in the supermarket with my eyes up toward that particular rack of magazines. See how, how it's not just, Lord, keep me, and then I'll throw myself into the lion's den, as it were, and hope that they... No, God can keep the man who's thrown into the lion's den. What do I mean? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the disposition of the man who's been pleading, Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Blessed are you, O Lord, Teach me your statutes. That's what the man desires who's been seeking God with his whole heart, that he might not wander from his commandments. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. That's the practice of the woman who's been seeking God with her whole heart, that she might not wander from his commandments. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. That's the delight of the believer who's been seeking God with their whole heart, that they might not wander from his commandments. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. That's the, 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 the focus of attention. The child of God has been seeking him with their whole heart that he might not wander from his commandments. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
That's the fixation of the child of God, who, fearing the inclinations of their own heart and taken up with God, desires not to wander from his commandments. What do we do if this is our appetite? We love God, we love his truth. We think about it, dwell upon it, meditate on it, contemplate it, rejoice in it, learn it, ask God to teach it to us, rejoice over it, delight in it, and remember it as much as we can. Christian brother, sister, is this your earnest desire? Is it your desire for yourself? Do you want to be holy as God is holy? Then don't trust your own heart. Go to the God of mercy and grace. Seek him with all your soul that you might not wander from his commandments. And then, in accordance with his counsels, taking heed to his word, loving it, delighting in it, studying it, clinging to it, imbibing it, remembering it, holding fast to Christ as he set forth in the scriptures. You press forward. Will you pray this for the church? You pray this for one another. Lord, may we be a faithful people. How much would it take for a whole congregation to go astray? So, well, that, that wouldn't be us. Not with our confession of faith. Not with the ministry that we have here. Not with the history that we've got. It doesn't take a generation. Sometimes it doesn't take a year. We've seen churches that have gone off the rails. Whole congregations corporately influenced by ignorance or ingratitude or carelessness or covetousness or weariness, false friends, arrogance. Churches that have just, look, this is just too hard. This is just too difficult. We're tired of this. There's an easier way. And with the appearance of wisdom and relevance, accommodation, taking to ourselves language that was never meant to be applied to the church of Jesus Christ. We need to become all things to all men. We want to win people. And you see whole bodies veering away from the truth as it is in Jesus. My friends, I'm not saying this just to scare you. I hope you're already afraid of your own heart. But I hope you have faith in the God who saves. I trust that in these days, not least as we, we're praying that God will stir us up, that God will enliven our hearts, that God would fix our affections more entirely upon him, that every member of this church would draw closer to the Lord. What do you think will happen as we begin praying like that? Did the Russians sit back and applaud as the Ukrainians tried to extend their lines forward? When God's people are seeking to draw near to God, 
Satan will roar and Satan will strike. My friends, the more we desire God, the more we seek after him, the more earnestly we long for him, the fiercer this battle will become and the more we need to pray. Oh God, I've sought you with my whole heart. That's where we want to be, isn't it? And what should go along with that? Let me not wander from your commandments. Let my fervency, my holy fixation, my heartfelt desire be to seek you with my whole heart, to trust you with my whole life and to walk before you in all my ways.